but yeah when I was about 10 I actually decided what degree I was going to do and where I was going to do it so yeah I think it was good having that clarity and where I wanted to go but it also kind of like pigeonholed me for quite a long time. G'day in Yuma which means hello in the language of the Ngunnawal people, the lands on which we're recording this podcast. And I just want to acknowledge that because, for me, a bloke by the name of Dan Bullshit, who's been part of the Australian Rural Leadership Program with me, has been a huge part in bouncing around some ideas and actually understanding the importance of the acknowledgement um, of the lands which we met on. So, Dan, thank you. I love our conversations. And it's something which we continue to bring. Now, my next guest is just an incredibly fascinating person. As you heard in the intro, imagine at the age of 10, with the help of your grandma, you decide on what career you're going to go down. On top of that, you even know what university course is going to allow you to go down that career. Well, that's the reality for Tallulah Gaunt. She grew up in southwest London, always had a love for animals. And initially, her love and interest and care for them came in the areas of zoos and aquariums. It was as a consumer and getting the exposure to a campaigner, she began to understand more about farm animal welfare. It kick-started, as she says, an obsession around product labelling, marketing and food, and especially animal welfare messaging. I'm amazed with Tallulah's self-awareness and willingness to broaden her perspectives. She spent time on dairy farms in Wales and New Zealand, cotton farms and grains here in Australia, to further develop her understanding. I found this chat really, really refreshing, and it's something I love about agriculture. People with a passion can come from any sort of background. There's no linear path that you need to go down that says this is the only way you can build a career in agriculture. Today, Tallulah is the manager for RSPCA-approved farming. Her work involves her overseeing the programs for higher animal welfare across Aussie farms to help and encourage them to transition to higher animal welfare practices. I hope you guys enjoyed this chat because I really did. I found I got a lot out of it. Enjoy it. Yeah, as an avid horse lover and lover of animals, how did you end up in this space working for RSPCA? Yeah, so always been an animal lover. I think even when I was a kid, like I was just obsessed with animals. Like everything was related to animals and. I think even when I was like seven, I'd like rewrite taxonomic groupings into like my own study workbook and was quite geeky. Um, And yeah, always loved horses and would have loved to have a career in horses. Um, But yeah, when I was about 10, I actually decided what degree I was going to do and where I was going to do it. So yeah, I think it was good having that clarity and where I wanted to go. But it also kind of like pigeonholed me for quite a long time. How do you find at 10 years old what it is you want to do and then how do you stick to your guns for the next seven or eight years? I think I was just really inspired by, um, well, wildlife documentaries and I think the reason why I sort of picked that degree was I'd had a really great trip to Whipsnade Wildlife Park in the UK with my grandma and she was always like really supportive about if there's anything that you want to do, like you can do it. So she like marched me up to the office there when I said I'd loved it and like got me to speak to a zookeeper and find out where they'd gone and basically they said they'd done that so I was like okay I'm doing that then 
And then, yeah, she was always great at like, because I don't come from an ag background, grew up in Southwest London, don't really have any family in ag, but she'd always send me like newspaper clippings of like the local cow that won a particular thing or something or this thing in an abattoir. And yeah, so she probably really fostered that. And was it something that you were interested in like as a kid? Were you as keen on this as your grandma? Um, In ag, I feel like at the time I didn't really like pick up on it. It was sort of like always a bit of a red thread. Yeah, at the time, I don't think I'd really sort of considered it because, yeah, growing up in the city, you don't really know anyone in ag. You don't get told about ag at school. So it's sort of like this sort of, you don't really know about it, so you don't even consider it. But I knew I wanted to work in animal stuff. So, yeah, like I volunteered at a reptile park for a year. Um, I worked with like wildlife rescues like you know feeding pigeons and all that kind of stuff um and then yeah when I was at uni I worked at London Aquarium for a while um and yeah did all these kind of like really hands-on animal roles and I guess I did the aquarium because I'm allergic to quite a few things so I thought that was an easy way to work with animals because I wasn't allergic to them and then yeah I just had this sort of like light bulb moment in the last year of my degree that kind of changed it all and switched me on to ag. So what was the degree you're studying? Uh, I did animal management and then I did my like honours top up in behaviour and welfare. So it was really sort of zoo focused for me and like aquariums and did a lot of work on like stingrays and all that kind of stuff. Um, and yeah I'd never really considered farming and then we had this really great talk from a sort of campaigning organisation I guess about just like this is what farming looks like in the UK and I'd always been like under the impression from uni that we had the highest standards of animal welfare and you know things were really good and we're leading in the world and how fantastic are we and by British and all that kind of stuff and when I just saw the reality of it even though it was the highest I just felt really upset as a consumer because I felt like I'd been misled. But I kind of knew there must be better and there must be a way for me to choose better. And I think that was, yeah, really the start of this, like, almost obsession with, like, labelling and products and how things are marketed and food and particularly this sort of animal welfare messaging. At what stage did you go from hearing the talk going, wow, that's something I want to know more about, to being like, that's actually an area that I can have and create change in? Yeah, I guess at the start, I didn't really know what to do. I just knew that there was this thing that I didn't understand and wanted to change. And it wasn't until I, yeah, had found this organisation. And I guess for me, the thing that I really wanted to change was product labelling and the fact that you have things like Farm Fresh and a sunny, you know, photo over a barn or something, and it looks really lovely and picturesque, but... Again, it doesn't tell you anything and it's not reality. Um, And the organisation that I ended up getting a job at, I interned there and they had a um, campaign called Labelling Matters. And it was just really about like highlighting all the sort of bogus claims and what it should be and promoting having method of production labelling, which this was back in what, 2014, 13 that I interned on that. And now in the UK, that's actually going through as a possibility in legislative change to have method of production labelling on all animal products, which I know is a really scary concept for a lot of people. But I think in terms of transparency, that's a great move to make um, and have consistency there. So I guess once I'd done that interning, 
I sort of realized like, oh, there actually is an organization that's working to do this and make change here. Um, and then, yeah, they had a role in supporter engagement initially. And yeah, it was sort of like a, you know, I don't have any skills there, but that was actually a great role to start in because if you're having to talk to people on the phones or by email, you have to understand everything that organization does and how they approach stuff and talk about it. Um, so as a sort of a first step in, it was amazing. Like I learned so much. And then, yeah, there was an opportunity to move into the food business team. And that was really where I was like, oh, everything sort of aligns here. And I don't know, I find the sort of business strategy side of things really fascinating again. So it's sort of like, yes, everything's sort of piecing together even more. And I'm sort of finding my path. And yeah, it's really exciting time. I've got a question around the so the, the truth in labelling and you're talking about it from making sure that the animal side of ag is actually representative of what's happening. What about on this whole chicken-based or plant-based chicken and, and those things? Do you think that's like a really – like when it comes to the similarities that you see back from 2013-14 of your work there, like how important is labelling to consumers through the work that you've done? It's interesting. I think people listening to this might get a bit angry with me for saying this, but I think just from what I've seen from market research and talking to people about this is that there's not that much confusion by consumers when it comes to, you know, a plant-based product that you know, like uses the branding of traditional meat products um, and the kind of focus on that by some peak body groups is a bit of a distraction. Um and, you know, there's a lot of money going into campaigns, Senate inquiries, all of these things. And at the end of the day, it sort of comes back to, well, if your product's good and you're happy to promote it, then just focus on that. Don't even worry about this, like, whole other side of, like, customers. Like, they're going to be there and continue to grow. Just focus on what makes your product better, you know, whether it's nutritional value or the way it's been done or the fact that it's Australian or whatever it is. Just focus on that, like the whole debate around that kind of things just feels like a waste of time. I'm sure it's not a waste of time to many people and that's why I said I'm sure people get upset with me saying that. But I think there's just so much more effort and energy that could be put into actually changing how we do things because that's going to retain your social license in the future. Yeah, I think that's a huge point. It's like marketing 101. It's like what's unique or what can be perceived as unique about your product and it's like when it comes to the more natural the product is, like start to talk about that, push down that path rather than just being like trying to shit can your competitors. <laughs> yeah, and if we're thinking about, you know, good nutritious food is something that's super processed and has to have all these other ingredients in a good option for people and it's also really expensive. Mm. Um, but then at the same time, you know, there's people, they don't want to buy these other products but they want to find something that, you know, they can take to a barbecue and their friend can put on the grill so that they actually have something similar to share at mealtime. Like I think people get really offended by it, but at the end of the day, it's just something to connect people again. Like, cause most people who I know who, you know, maybe eat more plant-based options, they don't necessarily buy those products until, yeah, there's sort of like an avenue where they would. Um, so yeah, I feel like it is a lot of noise that takes away from the actual work. Similar to the whole zero alcohol thing, it's that gives people options. And as you say, like that ability to connect without actually being the outlier of, oh, you're not drinking or whatever it is. It's the little mask you can put on. In Yeah. People like to have a prop in their hand at 
an event and yeah if you're not drinking there's like absolutely nothing wrong with that and it's totally fine but sometimes you want to have something that tastes like that or looks that way um so yeah like it's just about being more accepting of it really and so over in in europe uk specifically in this space the animal welfare space where did that pathway take you uh yeah so so back to where we were i taught this job in their sort of food business program so at that organization that was really focused on going out to corporates and talking to them about their eggs chicken pork like every animal product being like okay you know these are the animal welfare issues these are, i guess the sort of risks to your business you know if there's an expose or something goes wrong in the supply chain these are all the sort of things that can go wrong but actually the way that we can improve that is by working with you on your animal welfare policies um, and so a lot of the work was because at that time, I guess the organization wasn't probably as well known as it is now. Um, a lot of it was literally like cold calling, banging down doors. Um, I've done a few elevator pitches with CEOs in elevators and they didn't realize they were getting in it with me. And it sounds like a bit extreme, but it was just, it was never about sort of like pushing them into something that wasn't right. It was just laying out all the information and then being a source or a resource for them to utilize so you know that was a charity that was funded by donations whether it was individual people or major donors that just want to see change for farm animals um, and we were utilizing one arm of the organization to yeah really change that corporate playing field um, and so yeah that again that business strategy side I just thought was really cool um, but yeah, I think what changed it for me in that role was I'd been in there maybe like two years and I'd had a meeting with a milk cooperative and a very old man told me that I was very intelligent and knew what I was talking about and had lots of experience with corporates, but I didn't know what it was like on the ground. And that kind of really stuck with me as a, yeah, okay, if I'm going to actually do this and be part of that change and do it effectively kind of almost need to be like a triple threat like you need to have sort of all bases covered and yeah coming from London I, I don't know it's like growing up on a farm or doing all that stuff um so I went off to New Zealand and worked on really big um large-scale pasture-based dairy farms because um, I guess in the UK you know all of our work was around you know not necessarily moving to zero grazing um, dairy farming or completely indoor it was about promoting still pasture base so it was sort of like okay well where can we go and see well where can I go and see you know really high numbers of cows on pasture and just understand how that all works and the challenges and all the rest of it. Hi I'm Pia horticulture and sugar analyst at Rabobank and I'm here to share our latest insights on Australia's vegetable market. Did you know in 2023, Australia produced over $5.8 billion worth of vegetables, though only 4.3% of this was exported. Like many other countries, the Australian vegetable industry relies mostly on its domestic market. In fact, only 7% of global vegetables produced are traded between countries. But we are starting to see that trend change. Global trade is growing at a faster rate than production, and countries with low cost production are seeing the highest growth rates. You can learn more about trends in the vegetable market on our latest Rabo Research Australia podcast, Mapping World Vegetable Trade, or reach out to me via the Rabobank Australia social media channels to learn more. What was the first uh, instinctive reaction when you got over to New Zealand? 
Um, I think I probably cried because I was really tired. Plane <laughs> ride is quite long. Um, oh, and it was just like a culture shock because coming from London, people were like quite grumpy all the time, and no one really socialises. And like, I don't know, you get on a bus and you're very like head down. And I do remember just being on the bus from Auckland Airport into the city to go to my hostel, and like, people like smiled and waved, and it was just really like overstimulating I guess I don't know I found it really strange and then probably got used to the fact that Kiwis and Aussies are really friendly and it's actually like not a bad thing so yeah I guess that was the initial one but I wasn't necessarily ag related um but yeah I was really fortunate I managed to arrange a job before I got out there so within two weeks I was on farm and with like a really beautiful family so I was really lucky. How long did you stay there for? I did seven or eight months, so I did a spring and an autumn calving, and I was milking, but then I also did calf rearing, and they didn't send any bobby calves, so it was a lot of calves. I could have like 600 calves a go, like it was a lot, um, but really just interesting to learn how they manage that and work with them to improve things and find out new stuff, and even when I was in New Zealand... Um, the government had rolled out their new calf guidelines because they'd had media exposés about calves that were being like picked up and thrown onto trucks and not handled correctly and you know not being very healthy so uh, I think it was Dairy New Zealand had done a bunch of calf like workshops that I went to with like the local community about their colostrum management and you know how to handle calves and think about maybe not bashing them on the head uh, to kill them and you know other routes and ways and yeah, it was a really interesting time to be there because of all the change that was happening. Um, and then, yeah, headed down to the South Island and worked on another big farm. Not so much any calf stuff there, was really doing more pasture sort of management stuff and uh, working with a really good team there. And then I actually went back up to North Island and worked for that first farm again for another four or five months. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, they were great. And you didn't get stuck there, though? No. Um, I've got family in Australia and always wanted to be out here. So, yeah, I think I'd come over for like Christmas and then kind of knew I'd just be coming over and had kind of in the back of my mind, even from the UK, about like RSPCA's work here and sort of what they did. And I was always really impressed by the... um, We do like a science update on a quarterly basis and I'd always got those in the UK and I just, yeah, respected the organisation from afar kind of had it in my peripheries but didn't really know what yet and then yeah when I got to Australia it was sort of I was doing lots of other work on consultancy and fundraising and partnerships more broadly um I worked at Sydney Aquarium for a little bit yeah that game down on the harbour yeah down on the harbour so busy all the time Um, (laughs) yeah that was a good crowd um and then yeah sort of worked my way for a few jobs there and ended up here and you did spend a bit of time up in northern New South Wales as well to make sure that you could tick off your visa. This is the part where maybe immigration can listen. <laughs> <laughs> yes, did my farm work. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I worked um, on a property that's about six hours west of Brisbane. And it was funny, again, like these weird things I had in my head from a child. I really wanted to live as a kid in Australia on a farm and I had six hours from a city in my head. Um, so it was interesting that I got there. So it was in North Star, which is just south of Gundawindi. Um, yeah, again, with a really beautiful family. Like, I just, I've been really lucky with 
who I've worked with. Um, and yeah, so they run a mainly like broad acre cropping farm, but they also have cows and horses and all the best stuff. But um, yeah, I was there during like high drought, so there wasn't much happening. Um, we were just doing a lot of work behind the scenes, I guess, to just get stuff ready for when the rain did come. So a lot of moving soil around and scratching around in the dirt and changing stuff and even just talking about things. Like, I think there was lots of really interesting conversations there. So, yeah, tick that off. Um, and then it was whilst I was there that I actually applied for a role at RSPCA. So they advertise some assessor roles, which is what we have on the RSPC approved farming scheme that audit the farms. Um, and yeah, I sent through my CV and I can remember standing on the farm, like at the one spot of telephone signal, talking to my old manager here. And they were kind of like, oh, well, we don't think you really sort of like an auditor. And so like, oh, well, I really want to work for you guys. But they said, you know, just come in for a chat. I was heading down to Melbourne anyway to just like, do a bit of traveling around as you do so I was like yeah it's fine I'll just drive in on my way down through stopping Canberra so yeah I thought I was coming in for a chat and then spent about two hours in this room with the CEO at the time the chief science officer at the time my old manager just getting interviewed and not realizing what I was really walking my <laughs> um so it was very on the spot but obviously did all the right things because yeah, got a job and something that was, you know, more related to my experience in corporate engagement and I guess marketing and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then, yeah, now I manage the program, which is really exciting. I've got a couple of questions. I want to I want to bounce back to one about working um, on a farm in the drought, which was the worst drought on record. What did that teach you about kind of rural Australia and the communities and everything that goes with that? through hardship I was just really blown away by the sense of community and how everyone still came together like even though it was really hard times and you could tell it was really hard for everyone they all made time for each other still and they all still really put a lot of effort into those sort of local events whether it was like you know the public school canteen, I don't know, whatever it was, or thing where, um, you know, even just having a barbecue at like a local paddock or something. And yeah, I just really loved how I could just drive down the road and go into like anyone's property and sort of know who they are and have a chat and then go about my day. And I don't know, it was just, yeah, the really strong sense of community that I've never experienced. And I think that's like the real difference between growing up in London. I think we sort of think we have it pretty good but I would never go back to that I'd love to be more in that sort of like regional community sort of feel it was yeah something that was really special even like when it was really hard for everyone around them and in terms of the other question I've got for you is around this like manifestation of putting things out into the world and then actually seeing them come to fruition from the age of 10 you chose your career your course that happens you choose where you're going to live in Australia, that happens. Like, How much of that has been planned versus kind of good luck? I've asked myself that before because, yeah, there's a lot of um, goals I've set that I've achieved. And I think I'm very privileged and fortunate. Like I've got a lot of things going for me that get me to those scenarios. But I do have to sort of think about, yeah, there's... 
there's always a lot of work and a lot of forward thinking and thinking about how something could be used to my advantage for the next sort of step. Um, I think it's something that my dad would always say is, you know, something that's really good, but it's also to my downfall a lot of the times because if things don't go right or maybe progress too quickly in something, it can be really stressful. Um, and yeah, I think particularly in animal welfare, there's always stuff coming at you that is, you know, political, negative, you know, people don't agree with what you're trying to do or how you're going about it. And I really approach stuff in a very collaborative way um, to get that sort of end goal. But it, I guess it's that sort of perfectionist thing as well. If you don't get there, it's really hard to sort of step back and be like, okay, it's all right, we didn't do that. This is what's happening now. So I've done a lot of work personally to just sort of be a bit more accepting with where things are going and not try and plan them to a T. Um, but I think that's a whole sort of change in my personality. And a question I've got for you around, uh, like I think we could talk about the work you're doing, but more so from that kid at 10 years old that wanted to be involved in animals to the uni student who wanted to actually then make change in the animal welfare space. What's your kind of impact that you want to make still today? I think I've got like a list of my notes app. Do you want to read it? No, I don't. (laughs) Uh, Might get some people scared. Uh, Yeah, no, I think there's some like key things that I would at least like to see change in my career in terms of how things are done for farm animals in particular. And it's not stuff that I necessarily want to do, but I just want to be able to have a part or a contribution to it um, and to lead a team that are also part of that and that are passionate about it. Um, and I think, yeah, it's it's interesting having worked for a lot of not-for-profits and always generally in the not-for-profit space, you're like everyone is so passionate about this and like we don't need to recruit and sort of, you know, do activities to try and increase people's passion or their why like everyone comes with it um but yeah it's about channeling that in the right way so we actually get places and don't get too disheartened when it doesn't always happen how we do want it to but yeah I think the key sort of things I'd like to see change is that sort of extreme confinement for farm animals you know battery cages south stalls firing crates there's some key things that I think the way that industry intensified you know, decades ago, post-war was for, like, you know, clear reasons about increasing production, but we've got ourselves to this point for some industries where we really almost need to, like, unravel where we got to. And it's not to say that we're going to get to this sort of utopia, pasture-based, like, hippy-dippy thing. Um, It's about something that sort of meets in the middle that is better for the animals, better for the people that work there, better for the world around us. Um... And ag is that really interesting place to work in because it touches on so many different things. You know, if you care about the environment or people, animals or business or any of these things, like there is a role for you in ag because it just, yeah, it's pretty amazing. And where do you see, like personally see agriculture heading? Um, It's interesting because I guess I've sort of seen where it's heading in the UK and EU and the US and then, I've come here and the thing that excites me most about working in Australia is in the UK, I was working on things that were kind of already in train and happening and I was almost coming in at like the tail end. Whereas then I come here and those things haven't happened yet, but 
and getting to use that sort of skills and expertise that I learned to sort of drive the conversation from the beginning and actually hopefully make it better than sort of all the ups and downs that we would have had in the UK. So it's, yeah, I I know in Australia people really hate the sort of like comparison with here and other countries because it is unique and a very different industry setup. But I think, yeah, when you look a field, there's always these sort of opportunities and future developments. And that's the other exciting thing about ag is there's always just new technology and innovations and I guess in terms of where it's actually going, I would hope that it's something that is more of that sort of one health, one welfare approach. Um, But maybe I'm not as extreme as other people. Like I still want it to be a prosperous industry with good production and feed people. Um, I just think that we always have to be trying to better it. In terms of a couple of questions, one, what's a perception of agriculture within the broader community that you think would be really beneficial for the industry to change? Um, The key thing probably is that people just don't know enough. And so when they do find out about something like a particular practice or um, procedure or system, because they have no baseline understanding. And this is more, I guess, for the intensive industries that have been more closed doors and not willing to sort of show the whole thing. When people find out about that particular practice or whatever it is, they go more to that extreme view of, well, that's just terrible and absolutely wrong and that just needs to change. And they're more abrupt about what needs to change now. And like, there's no ifs and buts. And no, that's just awful. And how bad is that industry? Whereas actually, if industry is more transparent and talks more about, yes, this is what we do right now, these are the reasons why, um, but this is what we're doing for the future, and this is you know, the things that we know we need to address and progress, I think when people come at it with that view, they're a lot more accepting of the current state of play because they can actually see where you're going and understand it better. Um, so I think the real issue with perception right now is that people just don't know enough. Um, which is why in our work, we're really sort of hot, I guess, on accuracy, showing like true current systems um, and always sort of talking more about the solution, making it that positive thing as well. We're not sort of focusing on the negative. It's about, okay, where are we going next? What's the solution? How do we address this? How do we move forward? It's a much nicer way to think about things and talk about them than the other side. It means that you can talk to progress. <laughs> yeah, which is what everyone wants, surely. But I guess there's some people that want to keep things how they always are because it's safe for them and it's what they feel comfortable with and change is scary. Um, and yeah, maybe that's just a generational culture shift that we're going to see. Yeah, well, change will happen. So you're far better to be part of the change than be changed, I think. So two questions to wrap up. Uh, one... You can either choose your school in London or you can choose a school in Australia. (laughs) Uh, Get the chance to go and talk to Year 10 students about a career in agriculture of why it should be something on their radar. What would you say? I think it comes back to that like holistic approach of it can be so many different things and even in your subjects when you're picking them. Like I think for my A-levels I did art, English literature, environmental science, physics. Like it was a real range like none of that's ag because they didn't offer ag but all those things you could sort of then go off into an ag domain for them so yeah I guess if they 
have the opportunity to pick ag or do something in that space then just go for it because you can have so many opportunities and possibilities from it and I guess yeah it's not just going to mean that you're on farm you could be you know designing software or going into media and doing podcast interviews or you could be you know working to improve farm animal welfare and you can come to my team and I think I'm pretty good at managing them um so yeah there's lots of opportunities and it doesn't even mean that you need to necessarily pick ag you could just pick lots of different stuff and you may find your way there what do you think agriculture has given to you uh oh that's a good one um what has it given to me uh i guess probably just like a real sense of purpose like i know when i come to work what i'm doing why i'm here what we're sort of driving ourselves towards you know there's lots of stuff that's really challenging but we all come together with this shared vision of what we want to achieve and um yeah agriculture's again it's just got all those different opportunities to do stuff that's really sort of unique and exciting but yeah I think for me it's that deep sense of purpose which is really lucky and fortunate to have because I know that's not the case for everyone one final question you get to answer it with a question what's something you'd like me to ask a future guest or something that you're wondering that I can ask someone Hmm. another good one probably should have prepared for this a bit more <laughs> uh, no way do they want to have RSPC approved certification uh, no <laughs> yeah what are they doing I guess to really implement better animal welfare practices in their business whether that's on farm or if they're an office and they have a catering policy or you know how are they improving animal welfare through what they do so many layers to it so many layers well Talula thank you for coming and having a chat thanks hopefully it wasn't too bad no it was alright well I hope you all enjoyed that episode I certainly did and I would be really keen to hear from you what are some of your takeaways I think Tallulah's background, her willingness to try things, to build her understanding, get an understanding of what's happening from the farmer's point of view, but then also understanding the areas which relate to consumers, helping them understand and identify areas of animal welfare, product labelling, marketing, everything that goes with that is really cool. And it's a part of agriculture, which I think maybe many, or maybe I'm just wrong, wouldn't actually associate with being a really pivotal part of the industry. So I hope you all got something of it and enjoyed that chat now next week i'm going to put out a little guessing competition if you get it right the first person to get it right send me a dm on instagram i'll send you a hat or something like that an early christmas present but the next fella we chatted to a few years ago that time he was working on a cattle station up in northern australia he's gone and done a bit of study and so we're going to check in as the last week of november check in on him find out what he's been up to and what that transition from northern cattle country has been like to the classroom look after yourselves stay safe stay sane and as always thank you so much for coming on this journey with us